This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Marcello Yaya, filling in for Melissa Hale Spencer, editor at the Altamont Enterprise, and I'm talking today with Václav Sotola. He left Prague, Czechoslovakia, with his mother in 1981, fleeing a politically constrained communist society after his college aspirations were thwarted. When he first came to the United States, Sotola said he had a recurring dream where he was pursued by people trying to take him back to Prague. He now coaches the local Gilderville swim team and teaches in Kanajohari. He says he feels like he is both Czech and American. You know, growing up in, in I guess then it was the Czechoslovakia and, and now yeah. it's the Czech Republic, right? Yeah, um, but I still call it, I was born in Czechoslovakia, so I call it that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, my first question was about that, about where does, your, where does your identity reside between having lived in the United States for so long and grown up in a yeah. country so far away? That is, that is an interesting one. I, uh, you know, I still consider myself Czech. Uh, because that's where I was born. And I lived there for 21 years before I was forced by circumstances uh, to defect uh, with my mother, actually. And um, so uh, I, I I was born there. I, 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 if I really try, if I, if I have a dream, I think uh, in Czech, and I do not mind, uh, I do not mind the fact that I'm, you know, I have a, an accent and uh, I'm from somewhere else. But uh, I definitely uh, became American by because by the virtue of living here actually longer than I was in Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about it. And um, I'm, I'm in my early 60s. I'm 62, going to be 62 soon. And I've been here for 40 years and in Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia for 20. So I'm definitely... Uh, I definitely feel as an American, some kind of torn. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the I like the uh, comfortable uh, life in of in United States. Uh, that's that's nice. Uh, but it's also really nice to uh, to visit sometimes and to see uh, my father. He's still he's still alive, and uh, and my old friends and stuff like that. So. I am I'm, I'm in the middle, I would say. I, I'm not going to commit myself to one or the other. Uh, but if you ask me whether I am a proud American, I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned the circumstances that led you to to yeah. come here. Can you describe those? Yeah, well, really briefly, uh, don't forget, it was a height of communism. And uh, uh, it just happened that my family was, uh, uh, this is what happened in uh, communist countries. If your family, uh, such as my grandfather, uh, had any kind of uh, private enterprise when they were, when they were, when the country was not communist, uh, then um, you pretty much, you were a little bit in trouble uh, uh, because, uh we were kind of undesirable. It doesn't mean that we went to jail or we were being interrogated or something like that. Uh, but um, we did not have, let's say, the opportunities uh, that uh, maybe members of Communist Party would have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
So I had trouble, for example, getting into uh, college uh, because grandpa uh, was a, a small business uh, owner and stuff like that. It was politics, you know, mm -hmm. like that, 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 that drove a lot of people out of there. And it was also the, 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 uh, uh, the lack of freedom to do what you want to do. Uh, where, you know, you would maybe want to travel. Well, it was a big deal. If you wanted to travel to places that, that I would like to go, such as, you know, Germany and, and Austria and places like that, it was almost impossible. Uh, we could go to the Warsaw countries, uh, such as East Germany and Poland and others. Uh, but uh, that was not always... That's not very, what you wanted to do. Um, it was hard to read the books that you would like to read or see the movies that you wanted to see. So it was like a, you know, a combination of all these things that drove me and a lot of others um, away from their homeland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did and I answer you, your question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your question? And you, okay. you mentioned, I think, that you came with your mother. Yeah. Um, so were there other family that stayed and where were, where were yes. the... Yes. Well, my mother, my mother and my father were divorced, so that was not an issue. Okay. Uh, uh, by the time we left, my mother was, uh, uh, was, uh, was alone. Uh, I lived with her and uh, she was a computer scientist and she just wasn't, uh, wasn't getting going anywhere with her life. And uh, I think she... Uh, may help the, some of the dissidents. This is something that I'm a little hazy about mm -hmm. because uh, uh, we never we never cover it much with her. Uh, but I believe that she was uh, she was involved a little bit in that movement uh, to with the dissidents uh, such as Václav Havel and others. Not mm -hmm. that she was involved with them directly, uh, but uh, it was a big deal. For example, to make a copy of an article. Uh, normally, people would just copy them by hand, by writing or typing. And I believe that, I, again, I believe that my mother had an access to a, uh, a copy machine at work. And so she was very valuable in that. And I think that uh, uh, the communists uh, started to uh, 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 look at her a little bit more closely. And she decided that she's going to uh, she's going to defect. And uh, so I I, I was also not happy uh, because I did not get into the school that I that I was hoping at the university, mm -hmm. and so we both uh, we both decided to go. Yeah. And could you just quickly describe who Václav Havel is? Václav Havel was the uh, uh, the the playwright who later became uh, the the first uh, uh, president of Free uh, Czechoslovakia after the communist takeover. We okay. did have a president before, um, before 1948, but, but in 1948, the communists took over uh, Czechoslovakia and they stayed in power until 1989, actually, uh, and, uh, when in November, uh, uh, the communists finally realized that they have no future and they gave up their power. And Václav Havel, the playwright, became the first president of the newly free uh, Czechoslovakia. That was Václav Havel. I'm not saying that my mother even knew him. I'm mm -hmm. just saying right. that that was the uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted to make sure. I'm not trying to make portray us as some people that, that, no, were, no. that were high up there. That's not the case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Um, but it, it, it sounds like your mother was um, politically engaged. 
And, yes, I believe and, so, yes. And so what was it like for you and her? You came over in, I think, 1981, you said. What was it like yes. for you and her in 89 when there was oh, more of a... Well, th this, is what, this is what people often ask me, and I wonder myself, uh, you know, if we could see the future in 1981... And we would know that in 1989, the, the Berlin Wall will fall and the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia will become free again. There's a good chance that we would probably not come to the United States mm -hmm. uh, because we would wait it out. Because let's face it, you you love place where you are born. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? So uh, I believe that uh, that that there is a there is a good chance that we would stay. Uh, but you don't know that. Uh, you know, nobody in 1981 had any inclination that the Berlin Wall will ever fall and that uh, all these satellite states uh, will become free. So uh, we had to go. Yeah. <laughs> but we were elated in 1989. We were, I mean, it was unbelievable. My firstborn uh, son was born in 1989 on November 3rd. And, uh, you know, we were at home with him watching it on CNN. And it's like, are you kidding me? This is really happening. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. So you, I think you said you had difficulty getting into college and I know yeah. you're a physics teacher. So now I am. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. can you just describe for me your, your education or your career path, uh, despite that crossing? Yeah. The so, okay. Uh, so in Czechoslovakia, uh, our educational system uh, is like this. You have to go to school until you are 15. That's compulsory. That's a ninth grade or something like that. Ninth, I went to ninth grade. Uh, after that, you go and you have... Uh, you, you go to an exam uh, in order to make it the, to the next level, which is the next four years. And uh, I unfortunately uh, did not make it through the process, which is not only whether you do well on the exam, but they look at your politics and stuff like that. And that's what always I think that that's what held me back. Mm -hmm. I'm no genius. I'll, I'll admit it to anyone. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it, I think that the politics had a little bit to do with it. So this is what I had to do. I actually had to apply to apprenticeship, uh, which is a three-year school. And it's not bad. It's a three-year school. And you go to work, you go to school for a week, and you go, you go and work in a factory as a, you learn as craft mm -hmm. and the craft that I was learning for those three years was uh, to be an electrical mechanic, which means I was running wires in uh, one of those huge mainframe computers and stuff like that. So that's what I did for three years. And because I ended up I, uh, with uh, straight A's all the way through the four years, I was the, one of the best students in, uh, in, in the plant then they admitted me into the school that I wanted to go in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I went into the second year. So then I had the second, third, and fourth. So I had three more years of uh, school after that uh, to get to finish the next level. I know that it's a little confusing, uh, but I was I was studying electromecha electromechanics, actually, electromechanics. Uh, 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 electric. I was going to be designing electric motors, uh, generators, and stuff like that. So, 
after the four years, you apply to go to the university. And that was exactly the summer of uh, 1980 when I actually defected. And uh, I found out just as I was leaving that I did not make it uh, to the university. I didn't I didn't make the cut. Mm. So uh, maybe that had a little bit to do with it, too, because I said, what am I going to do there? You know, mm. um, the politics are awful. The freedom is not there. And uh, so I decided to go with my uh, with my mother. Have I answered your question? Yes, in, yes. In and, <laughs> and just to kind of continue the story, uh, was it was it difficult for you when you first came here? Um, I well, mean, I, I uh, this is what happens when you uh, when you uh, when you defect. Uh, you, for example, I had to we had to stay. Uh, we came from from we came through Yugoslavia, uh, which is the southern part of Europe, back up to Austria which was a free democracy. And in Austria, we applied for political asylum and we got it. And then they ask you, what would you like to do? And uh, my mother uh, applied to go to Canada because she knew a, 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 a man that she knew from, from school and she was going to go and uh, see uh, he was he offered her some help here anyway uh, so she was going to co go to canada and she did she's she lives in ottawa right now and uh, and i was going to go to united states because i was told that there's more opportunities in united states and i have to say that uh, they were right mm -hmm. so we waited in austria for about half a year my mother a little shorter uh, so I, I was there from August until uh, February of uh, 1981, and then I flew to United States. Now, if you come here, you need a sponsor. This is nothing new. Uh, you know, everybody, I think everybody, uh, every, any immigrant needs a sponsor, which is a person that will say, yes, I will take care of this person uh, until he or she gets on, on their feet. So I came uh, into New York City, where a friend of the family was my sponsor. It could have been anybody. My 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 original sponsor was a family from Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, but uh, uh, when I found out about it, uh, I asked my mother and her friend whether they would have somebody else. And they said, well, friend of our family lives in New York City. Why don't we try him? And they did. And he agreed to sponsor me. So I actually ended up uh, living in New York City from February 1981 until uh, uh, until the summer. I think it was August of 1981. And uh, so he helped me. He put me up in his apartment. Uh, I, you know, I was looking for jobs and stuff like that. I did find a job in, in electronics. And... Uh, and I worked there for, for a few months. Um, and uh, meanwhile... While that was going on, I traveled by bus to Clifton Park a few times because that's where some of my friends that we met in Austria ended up. And they said, well, come up here. It's really nice. Uh, there is Saratoga and uh, the Adirondack Mountains. You'll love it. So I came here a few times and I loved it. They were right. It's a beautiful place to uh, the, the capital district. And uh, one of the times uh, my mother and her now husband, I think that they got married fairly quickly, who is my stepfather now, they came from Canada 
and we met there. And uh, so they, we drove through the Adirondacks and slowly I decided that I am going to move up here. So in, 19, in the summer of 1981, I came up here. I interviewed at GE. About at that, that moment, they were, I don't know if you were around, but they were, uh, in 1981, GE was going downhill and they were not there were no jobs for uh for uh, for people like me so i found job in uh an outfit called broad cable electronics which uh, uh which uh, uh fixed cable tv converters believe it or not and this was in schenectady mm-hmm. so uh, i found a job there and uh, that was the beginning i uh, i started at 335 an hour which was a uh, minimum wage at that time and worked my way up Mm-hmm. So uh, difficulties, as in living under the bridge or shivering somewhere, no, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's because I had I had a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll admit that. Yeah. Can you just describe, I guess, your your um, your situation now? You know where you're settled and and where your life is now. And um, I'm yes. assuming you visit you visit the Czech Republic as well, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, I do visit. My father is 83 years old, um, and uh, so I go. Uh, he's married, so I have a stepmother in addition to a stepfather in Canada. I have many parents, and so uh, uh, so, <laughs> so yes, I do go. I do go to uh, uh, to Czech Republic about every three years. So anyway, what happened was, uh, uh, I'll just make this really quick. Uh, I uh, uh, While I was in Czechoslovakia, my, my parents put me in swim lessons and I became a pretty good swimmer. Uh, so, um, so when I came to United States, uh, into Schenectady, uh, Albany Starfish was looking for a coach. Mm-hmm. So uh, believe it or not, at the age of 21, I became a, a coach of a pretty large swim team, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I liked it. I loved it, and uh, uh, all the parents and the kids and and everybody else were telling me, you know, you should become a teacher. I did. I did want to be a teacher in a way in Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia, but I never got around it. Uh, so, uh, so uh, what happened was I got married in uh, 1986. And my wife sent me to SUNY at Albany to uh, to go to school. So I did. I put in my four years. Uh, I got my bachelor's and then my master's in teaching uh, history. I became a historian, actually, believe it or not. Mm. And uh, uh, starting in 1991, I got job uh, as a history teacher, as a social studies teacher in Kanajuheri, New York, which is about our west of here. Now, my wife worked at Albany Med at that time, and she still does. Actually, she just retired from there. So we had we couldn't we really didn't move. Uh, but I traveled for the last 30 years uh, to Kanajuheri. And you said that I teach physics, and I do. Uh, <laughs> about 15 years ago, we lost our physics teacher. And so for a year, the school was there was existing without physics teacher. And it became obvious that uh, the parents and the students like physics because they like to put it maybe on their resume or on their applications for college or something. So my principal who knew my resume said, hey, you were electrical engineer, why don't you try it? And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I tried it 
And uh, I actually loved it because uh, besides history, you know, the hard science of uh, physics and math is something that my brain is built for, uh, that I'm comfortable in. So I became a physics teacher and then they sent me to Buffalo State uh, for a few summers uh, to get certified. And ever since then, I'm certified in physics and social studies. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this for 30 years believe it or not. And even though I did not start teaching to get the summers off or get a good retirement, I am retiring this June 30th. And uh, I'm going to go and travel with my wife. We're going to go to Czech Republic to visit. We're going to do all the things that we always wanted to do. That's great. That's that's about it in a nutshell. Yeah, Yeah. well, congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Um, Is there anything else you plan on, on doing? Uh, I will keep coaching uh, the varsity if they want me in Voorheesville. Uh, I'm, do, I'm coaching the uh, Gilderville varsity swimming. And so I would like to keep doing that uh, as long as they want me. And uh, otherwise, I would like to get myself in a little bit of shape uh, <laughs> if that's possible at my age. I think it is. And um, I will, uh, I, we will go west and visit the places that I've never seen, you know, and Yellowstone Park, California. Maybe I'll never come back once once I go to California. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Gilderville uh, is a swim team that incorporates uh, two different schools, yes. Marysville and Gilderland. Yes. Um, and that's the area you live in. Uh, can you tell me, I guess, what is it? What is your goal as a coach? What do you really enjoy in it? I, you know, because I would think the students get something out of it that's maybe a little more obvious, but as the coach, I wonder what you, what's running through your mind and what you really value. I like to see the little kids that come in as ninth graders. And sometimes they come even earlier uh, as seventh or eighth graders grow into, into young men and, uh, and improve Mm -hmm. and they, uh, they mature. And I like to see that, you know, whether we win or not, that's, there's not a whole lot you can do about it in swimming. You train them as well as you can. Mm-hmm. You try to be uh, understanding when they have more than one, one, uh, one uh, love tearing them apart. For example, a lot of my swimmers are also musicians. So they have concerts. So what am I going to do? Tell them, you know, you have to pick either swimming or <laughs> music. No, um, you know, you live with it. Uh, sometimes they have to take a time off and go and do their uh, Christmas music. That's okay. I can live with that. Uh, but I want to see progress. And uh, so far, somehow, we always succeeded in uh, developing the swimmers from being young, skinny uh, boys into a very strapping uh, young men who who uh, do really well in swimming. Um, uh, so that's my goal. Uh, as I said, whether we are winning against powerhouse uh, other powerhouse uh, uh, teams, that's not that important. Mm-hmm. I would like to, of course. Who wouldn't, right? But you know, there's only so much you can do about it. Yeah. So that's why, as, as we said, as we say in swimming, there's nothing you can do about the other team, <laughs> and in swimming, there's no hail mary. There's no right. hail mary. Right. Yeah. It's about milliseconds, I think. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask also about, uh, you know, the local area as it relates to 
you know, when you visit family, how would you describe or how do you describe Voorheesville or Altamont or the area to to people in the Czech Republic or, well, or elsewhere? I show them I show them pictures and I tell them I'm I'm living I'm living the dream. I'm li I live I'm serious. I moved here I moved here from Schenectady with my wife on purpose because we loved it here. Uh, we loved the com community, whether it's uh, the Gilliland uh, community in in Altamont or whether it's the Voorheesville a community it doesn't matter uh I, I i just love it here i love the touches park and the fact that we are like almost in the boonies here mm -hmm. i i i'll tell you a little uh, little story i had friends who moved here from out of town uh to work uh about i don't know 15 years ago and i said uh why don't you come and live uh, in New Scotland or in Altamont or in Voorheesville? And they said, no, no, no. Everybody's talking about Clifton Park. And I said, I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? You know, you want to be on the sit on the Northway every morning and every afternoon and have brown water in Clifton Park? No, come on over here. We're 10 minutes from 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 the state campus, uh, from the from the state where state workers go. And we are, you know, 15 minutes from SUNY at Albany. You know, you could live in Paris paradise here no 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 they had to go to clifton park so mm -hmm. anyway uh, i try to sell this area to anyone that will listen <laughs> okay okay well uh thank you so much for for talking uh is there okay. anything that we didn't cover that that you want to say about anything? no i think i think we did pretty well i think i think we covered some of it in more detail than others but i think that uh, we covered just about the whole thing yeah okay like I said in, in my email, my father is from Italy and I'm aware of sort of, um, I can imagine you tell this story a lot of, of coming yes. from the Czech yes. Republic and, yeah. um, you know, that people sort of see it in a two dimensional way. And I just, um, because, you know, I imagine with your accent, people might just immediately try to talk to you about that and not other things. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, I was surprised. Actually, I was surprised by Americans when I no, I was not surprised. I always heard that, but I didn't believe it. I was I was really pleasantly surprised how non-judgmental the people were when I first came here. Mm -hmm. You have an accent, oh, big deal. You know, nobody cared. Mm -hmm. Especially when I started to work in New York City, they said, "Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do your job? You got it, mm -hmm. no problem." When I came to Schenectady, again, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? And I did. And I did it better than others. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so whether I had an accent, it didn't seem to bother people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was blind. Maybe I didn't pay attention or whatever. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I was, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's great to hear. Do you, uh, I don't even know in Canada, Harry or Voorheesville, how many um, children are immigrants, how many students are immigrants. But do you find that are you able to relate to them? Is that is that even a, a thing in your in your work? Uh, I can I can relate to them, but don't forget, I'm teaching youngsters and when they come in. It's their parents usually who are the immigrants. The mm -hmm. kids feel like they're Americans. They, mm -hmm. they, you know, they don't have accents anymore, uh, and and they uh, they feel like they are not the immigrants. So if I was if I was talking, maybe if I was teaching college, and I would talk to uh, older 
immigrants. Maybe I would, uh, but with the youngsters, with the the, the 15 to 18 uh, year olds, I hardly ever do. I I do occasionally. Uh, I do occasionally come into contact with uh, uh, with the people, a group of people that moved here from from India or from Pakistan, and uh, that that's an interest. It's always interesting to talk to them, uh, but uh, they come here for work. And again, their kids are born here, or they came here when, when they were very little, and so the kids themselves feel like they're Americans. Well, that must it's, be true of your kids, no? Yeah, of course. <laughs> my son says, my older son says until today that he doesn't hear my accent. I really don't buy it, but that's what he says. He probably tries to make me feel good or something like that. That's what he claims. <laughs> Did you have concerns as a parent about whether he learned the language or knew? No. Okay. No, no. Uh, you mean my language? Right, the right. Ch- and the culture. Yeah, okay, well, th- this is the story. Uh, this is a story that my wife my wife always yells at me. She's an American, of course. And she says, why didn't you ever teach them how to speak Czech? Well, it's easier said than done. If you have a family in which the mother is American and the father is a Czech or the other way around, it doesn't matter. It's really difficult to come home and start talking to a Czech to the kids uh, because they will, you know, she will not know what's going on and they will not know what's going on. So really, uh, I was trying to better my English. Mm -hmm. I was really not going to work on their knowledge of Czech. Now, interesting thing happened to my mother. My mother married another Czech in Canada. And they had a, my brother, uh, who is 24 years younger uh, than me. He was born when I was 24. And they are, because they're both Czech, they they speak at home only Czech exclusively. So he speaks fluent Czech in addition to French and, and English. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me to teach my my boys Czech uh, uh, would be really difficult. So I never got to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my wife will never forgive me. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. And if you want, if you want to just say something about anything, you're welcome. To. Yeah. No, I just want to say that, uh, you know, growing, you know how it is. I, maybe you don't, but they always say that uh, in Czechoslovakia, for example, people had to go compulsory to military service uh, for two years. And I never had to go because I had, I had something wrong with my leg or something like that. So I did not have to go. But they always say the old the soldiers who come out of it, they say uh, with, with time, everything gets a little bit, little less awful you know at the time when you were in there for those two years you hated every minute of it but then Mm -hmm. as the time goes on and you get older you start thinking oh yeah remember that that was a whole lot of fun you know and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so as i get older and i think about my youth and my growing up in uh, czechoslovakia uh, you know i would like i would like your listeners not to think that we were some huddled masses living in, mm-hmm. you know, horrid uh, conditions or something like that. It was not. Uh, it was not that bad. Uh, okay. Uh, again, the politics were awful. Uh, the fact that the freedom was not there was awful. Uh, but uh, thanks to my two parents who loved me, I was the only child. Uh, I had fairly normal childhood. 
which included, as I said, swimming, uh, you know, do going on, uh, on, on, on hikes and doing all sorts of things uh, that kids do, that young people do. So uh, as far as I can tell, I am, I'm not remembering it with some kind of a resentment. And I would like to just say that. That's all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know that today's refugees, oh my God, the, the, those people from Syria, I mean, they are running away from war zone, right? You know, mm. that that was not me. I was running away from really awful uh, 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 government, uh, but not from some place where they would like shoot me or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's that's kind of what I was talk, trying to talk yes. about. Saying you know, I'm concerned with people looking at you in sort of two dimensions that they might pity you or see yeah. you as a victim. Not really. Only. I have to say, you know, I have to say that uh, you know, I picked up English fairly quickly, and uh, I had a bunch of friends who were also coaches of swimming of the other teams. And don't forget, I was coaching. Teenagers. I was coaching kids anywhere from five years old until, I mean, my oldest swimmer was about two years younger than me. And they didn't care if I was a, a Czech or Russian or whatever, whatever else. They wanted to swim fast. And right. because I provided that with, for them, they, uh, they, they'd never held anything. They, I'd never heard of something like, oh, the, the, got them check over there and stuff like that. Never heard of anything like that. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was funny that you started mentioning that you dream in, in Czech because my father dreams in Italian. Yeah. He also, um, you know, and he came over here as a teenager and he's the same as age yeah. as you. And he also, um, has to do math and counting in Italian. Is yes. that true for you? Uh, I prefer, I, I learned, I can do, I can dream and I can count in Italian in Czech uh, in, okay, I can dream and I can do math in English, but when it comes to some complicated problems, I actually prefer check. Uh, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some of the some of the uh, physics terms and stuff like that, it took me a while to to get used to using the Amer- the uh, the English uh, terms. So yes, mm-hmm. I totally get it, and. Uh, uh, there's a, there's another thing uh, that's unrelated probably to your father because he was moving from Italy to here. He was not really running away from anybody. But mm-hmm. I, uh, for the first about half a year of my life outside of uh, uh, Czechoslovakia, I was having the immigrant dream, if you ever heard of it. And it goes like this. You go for a walk in the woods. And uh, you are, it's a nice day, or it's, it's like a, towards the evening, and you are walking on, on, on a road in the woods, and there's nobody else around uh, until you hear steps behind you. And you see these lar- two large or three or whatever large men uh, following you. And you start wondering, uh, why are they following you? And it becomes obvious that uh, they are trying to capture you. So you go a little faster and they go a little faster. You go a little faster, they go a little faster, then you run and they run after you. And then you wake up. Uh, The obvious uh, thing is that uh, we were, uh, and I'm not the only one who got these dreams. Uh, The obvious thing is that they, uh, the communists, we were afraid that somebody will come and drag us back. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. 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 So that was- uh, How long did you have those dreams for? Yeah. 
about half a year. It took a while to get used to them, uh, okay. to get rid of them. And I'm not saying that it happened every night, uh, but it happened mm. occasionally uh, and it, it happened for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.